Hey everyone, Pastor Kevin, listen, today I have a word from the Lord that I believe is going to be a blessing to your life, strengthen you in your journey. All of us need a shot in the arm in our faith, and I believe that word today is going to do that. Take the next few minutes, spread the word, tell your friends and family this message is coming on. I'm believing it's going to change our lives, and I want you to hang on till the end. I'm going to come back and pray for your needs, and I believe God's going to touch today. Let's jump into this word and be blessed. I'll be back soon. While you're standing, let's go together to the Word of God. Matthew, the second chapter is where we'll find our assignment today. Um, I love you too. Um, this is all new. It's, it's like doing it again, Dev. I don't know if you ever feel that, but when we uh, started this, well, we didn't start it. The Lord started it. But when we were just getting started, 22 years ago, all of our babies were little bitty. And um, we had 30 people, and I remember putting up the first Christmas tree in the church, and Jeremiah was barely, he wasn't even walking, I don't think. Isaiah was uh, just a little bitty thing, and um, Asher and Genesis, they have the privilege of uh, being a part of the church now that it's, you know, grown and the Lord's helped it. I just always want to tell you how much, Devin, and I appreciate the way you love my family. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody's like, you got to make a church. You can't bring kids up on the stage. I will bring my children up on this stage. I'll bring your children up on this stage. I ain't trying to impress nobody. I am very thankful for the way you love my family and uh, Dean and uh, Doris and Paul and the trustees and the team, I'm just grateful. I, I never, um, I never expect that. And I always want to make sure that the kids get taken care of before we do anything for, for our family. And yesterday, we didn't just meet our goal. We exceeded our goal. <laughs> gave away, gave away thousands of Christmas gifts to and Pastor Gary told me yesterday on the way out, the greatest gift that got received yesterday was Jesus. 24 people gave their life to Christ. Come on, let's celebrate that. It's powerful. Listen, this is what's crazy. 460 volunteers came and worked yesterday. Come on, let's thank God for that. That's just remarkable. So, in the house, online, uh, in Cleveland, wherever, uh, just thank you for being kind and um, loving our family and thank you for whatever you gave and if you had nothing to give know that we're all family and Devin and I love everybody we're just grateful to be a part of the family of God I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God y'all don't know that song <laughs> all these millennials are like and all the old saints are like, sing, sing, sing. Okay, there we go. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. All right. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to continue in this thought that we started last week with the nativity scene. The nativity scene. I want you to see some things going on at the birth of Jesus. We talked last week about the shepherds. We will talk today about the magi. When you have Matthew chapter 2, say Amen. Look at your neighbor, tell them Merry Christmas. 
Tell them it's gonna be a good season for you and yours. Amen. Matthew 2, verse 1 reads thus, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, some more monitor if you can, Mr. Soundman. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, this is the prophet Micah, but you of Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from, what, from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they, start, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they come into the house. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way. Look back up at verse 2 with me, if you don't mind. The B clause of the second verse is where you will find my subject for this morning. The Bible said that they went to Herod and said, We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I don't know why you came, but I know why I came. I came to worship the king. It was the wrong neighbor, so let's try another neighbor. Look over at your other neighbor. Say, hey, neighbor, I have no clue why you came, but I know, I know, I am fully aware of why I came to church today. I came to worship the King. Somebody give him praise. Let's pray one for another. Father, I thank you for these, your people. They are the sheep of your pasture. They are redeemed. Their life is hid with Christ in God. I thank you that at the entrance of thy word there is life, there is light. I pray today that the light would shine in our darkness, illuminate our path, for the word of the Lord is a lamp unto our path. And I thank you that today there'll be more light, more revelation, illumination by the Holy Ghost. I thank you for confusion that will dissipate. I thank you for heaviness that will leave. I thank you for chaos that will be broken. A spirit of peace is coming on our people this Christmas. I decree it and I declare that they'll walk in peace and shalom and the blessing of the Lord. Mind, body, soul, and spirit, God, would you bless your people today in the precious name of Jesus and we thank you for it in advance and everyone said amen and amen. You can be seated in the presence of God.
Perhaps there are no uh, more mysterious people in the nativity scene that is at your house and at my house and everywhere we see the nativity scene um, that has been put out at this time of the year. There, there is no more mysterious group of people in the nativity than the wise men themselves. In fact, if you study uh, and you look at the history of the wise men, you will find that their history is even shrouded in some, some kind of mystery. It's, it's unique, the wise men. Their story is unique. You read the second chapter of the book of Matthew, and it appears as if they come out of nowhere, almost out of thin air. These wise men come to worship Jesus, and we are left to just sort of wonder, where did they come from? How did they get there? How did they know where they were going and what were they going to see? If you study the Bible and you look in the Old Testament, you will find the foundation of these magi or wise men. You will find the foundation of who they were and the operation, the modus operandi and the activity of the wise men in the book of Daniel. Allow me just a moment to rehearse history so that you understand where these wise men who are now at the feet of this baby Jesus, worshiping him in a manger, where did they come from? In order for us to begin to understand that, we flip back into the Old Testament, into the book of Daniel, and we are told that Daniel, and namely his his three Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Uh, we are told that they were taken out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, by the Babylonian army and taken back to Babylon as prisoners and exiles of Babylon for 70 years because of the sins of Israel and the rejection of God's prophets. Babylon was allowed to come into Jerusalem, raise the entire city to the ground, destroyed the city, and they drug, they mercilessly drug the people of God out of Jerusalem back to Babylon where they lived. And they lived there, and they didn't just stay there a little while. They were there seven decades. For 70 years, the people of God lived in a foreign land. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel regarding these boys who came from the Hebrew land of Jerusalem and now find themselves in Babylon. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, the 10th chapter, that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego excelled in everything and were 10 times greater than anyone in Babylon. I think that's fascinating. That Babylon, being a picture of the world, finds itself as the as the the the, the embryo or the uh, the breeding ground. This place where Israel is now living, and they're not just living and existing, waiting to get back to Jerusalem before they exhale. But while they are living on the devil's territory, they are still ten times better than anyone else from Babylon. I think if you're going to live for God, you ought to be the best one on your job. I think if you're going to be a leader in your field, you need to be applied and educated and prepared. I can't find no help today. We ought to excel. Christians ought not just get the job done. When we get through getting the job done, our bosses ought to say there's something excellent about those people. Oh, y'all, y'all not talking to me today. I think it's because we think that just because we're saved, we get a free pass. 
pass. But if the world is going to want the God we got, we've got to demonstrate the goodness of God and the kingdom of God in a way that makes people who don't know him say there's something different about their God because there's something different about his children. Those children of God from Israel, they are altogether better. They're excelling and they're greater than anyone in Babylon. And this, this is proven when the Bible tells us about a king there in Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, it troubles him and he wants an interpretation. So watch, here's the foundation of the Magi. This is where the wise men, where it comes from. The Bible said when he had a dream and they wanted to find out, he wanted to find out what the dream meant, he called for the astrologers and the enchanters. In the Greek Septuagint, it is the Greek word Magi. He called for the enchanters and the astrologers to come and interpret his dream for him. He looked at them and said, uh, I need you to interpret this dream, and if you don't, I'll kill you. How many would recognize that as an incentive? It's an incentive. So they want to have an interpretation to the dream, but they don't have an interpretation to the dream because the dream was given by God and can only be unlocked by God. How many know if you got a dream from God, you need God to unlock the dream? Somebody say Amen. So they didn't have God in them, these enchanters from Babylon, these astrologers, these magicians, as it were. They did not have God in them. So the Bible says that Daniel steps to the plate, saves their lives, and interprets the dream. When Daniel, the Hebrew, the Israelite from Jerusalem, interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king of Babylon in return promotes Daniel as a governor over all of his magi. This is where the influence of God began to take impact and have influence over the Magi of the Babylonian Empire, which consequently would later get swallowed up by the Persian Empire, which is why the Persian kingdom had a tremendous amount of influence over the Magi over the years. Now, here's what I want to tell you. When Daniel became governor over all of King Nebuchadnezzar's Magi, he began to influence the Magi, and one of the things we believe that he began to do is tell the Magi about the prophecies of the Jewish prophets who told of a Messiah that would come down the road. And so can you imagine these Babylonian priests, as it were, these Magi, these, these enchanters, they were almost mystical. They were fascinated with the supernatural. They were in touch and they were in touch with the stars and they were in touch with the dream world and they're, they're very different kind of people. And now watch, Daniel has influence over all of them. And he is telling them about his Hebrew prophets who prophesied about a Messiah coming. He told them, I believe, about Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. I believe he told him about Micah chapter 4, that out of Bethlehem this king would be born. 
I believe Daniel could have told him about Hosea who told these magi that he would return out of Egypt and he probably even mentioned that the psalmist recorded the words that the kings of the earth would come down and bow before this king and would worship him. They heard the, the Hebrew prophets and the promises and the prophecies of this coming king and the magi who were not in any way tied to a Jewish custom and Jewish culture are now suddenly influenced by this Jewish prophet named Daniel who is their overseer and now he begins to speak into their life in ways that capture their attention. I think it is fascinating because we hear a whole lot of people talk about things like you shouldn't seek a sign. First of all, let's establish this. We don't follow signs and wonders. Signs and wonders follow us. The Bible said signs and wonders follow them that believe. How many believers do we have in the house? Come on, how many know you don't have to chase a sign and wonder? How many know you are a sign and a wonder? And if you'll walk with Jesus, signs and wonder, I need some help here. Signs and wonders will follow you. And there's been a lot of disregarding regarding the whole concept of signs, but I hope you caught last week and I hope you catch this week that both the shepherds and the wise men were captivated by God and God showed both groups a sign. God is not afraid to show you a sign as long as you don't get infatuated with the sign. The sign is not you, uh, it's not about you and I saying we found the sign so we just, that's the end all and we found what we were looking for. Though No, the sign takes you to what you're looking for. The sign is taking you to what you're looking for. If you're a shepherd, the sign is a baby in a manger. If you're a wise man, the sign is a star in the sky. But you may not be a shepherd. You may not be a wise man. You may be a working mama. You may be a hardworking dad. Maybe the sign for you was God showing up and giving you something that you didn't know was on the way. Maybe God tried to capture your attention through a, a problem or a, a pain in life or a situation, whatever it was, the sign to the shepherds and the sign to the wise men is an indication, at least to me, the extent to which God will go to get the attention of all humanity so that he can use signs to pull everybody to Jesus. What's your sign? <laughs> What's your, here's your sign, right? What's your sign? What got your attention? Was it just conviction in the heart or was it when God worked a miracle for somebody in your family? Was it a sermon a preacher preached? Was it a prayer you heard your mama pray? Was it something that came out of nowhere? Were you lost and on your way to hell? Were you blinded by success? Were you full of yourself and full of this world and full of life? And God in his infinite mercy showed you a sign and your sky and it captured your attention. You forgot what you were chasing and said for the rest of my life I'm going to follow God and I'm going to see where this journey would take me. He had a sign for the shepherds. He had a sign for a wise man, the wise men and we're told in history that these wise men waited, watch this, between the time of Daniel and the birth of Jesus was 600 years if Daniel began to tell them about the coming king, and I believe he did, listen to this, these magi waited 600 years to find him. The first thing I want to tell you is Jesus is worth the wait. 
I said Jesus is worth the wait. We live in such an instantaneous microwave society where everything that we want can almost be brought to us on demand. We, we want to take a frozen chicken meal and put it in a microwave and three minutes later we pull it out and we eat it or, or you don't like chicken, okay, that's great, pizza pockets, whatever it is. We take them out of the freezer and put them in the, and we put them in the, in the oven and we, bam, we can have anything we want just a matter of minutes and we want instantaneous peace and we want instant instantaneous wholeness and we want instantaneous breakthrough and we want everything instantaneous but sometimes God will ignore your demand for immediate and he recognizes that some things are so good you have to wait on them. Some things are so good you have to push pause and you've got to slow down and come on in here. If you're looking for a spouse and I feel like I'm talking to somebody on this Sunday, if you're looking for a spouse and you rush that process, you will regret it but if you will wait on the Lord. The Bible said, come on in here, young man. He that find a wife findeth a good thing. If you don't find a wife, if you just find a woman and you, she don't have the right heart, you just find a thing. You don't want a thing. You want a good thing. Sisters, let me talk to you. You don't just need somebody with a six pack and can throw a bomb down the football field. You need a man that knows how to pray over you. A man that knows how to do more than work on a video game. He knows what to do with a hat saw and a wrench. Come on in here and talk to me, somebody. We got to learn how to wait with integrity. Maybe you're not waiting on a spouse. Maybe you already found your spouse. Maybe you're waiting on a child. Maybe you're waiting on a job. Maybe you're waiting on a promise for the Lord to come to pass. And the enemy wants to tell you, you waited and waited and waited and nothing's happened. I came to encourage you today and tell you good things come to those who will wait Oh God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I hear the prophet Isaiah saying, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Don't rush me, the Lord said. Don't put me in no kind of hurry. I know the end of this thing before I ever get. Let your mama meet your daddy. I knew what I was gonna do in your life. And although you're in a hurry, you will not rush me because I have already declared what the end will be and when you will get to it. How many know good things come to those who wait? Conversely, bad things come to those who rush. And you know, God doesn't ask you, you know, what's your timeline? God will give you a promise and not give you any more details. I'm gonna walk around here. God will give you a prophecy and give you no time frame at all. God will tell you something and us in our naive ignorance, we'll wake up the next morning and think it's gonna happen. God will give Joseph a dream about all of his sons, all of his brothers rather bowing down to him and he'll run out and tell the dream tomorrow thinking it's gonna happen next Tuesday. It ain't gonna happen next Tuesday. Years and years of hell on earth. Years and years of living in the prison. Years and years of living in Potiphar's house. Years and years and years of being Pharaoh's vice president and suddenly all that he dreamed about in his teenage years starts happening in his mid-50s. Somebody has 
just got to shake yourself and tell yourself it is worth the wait. God, I feel like preaching here. Somebody in this room today needs to get your anticipation back. You need to get your excitement back. You need to pull that dusty promise off the shelf of unbelief and you need to say the promises of God are still yes and amen. I believe that heaven can pass away. The grass may fade and the flower may wither but the word of God that he gave me will abide forever. I'm going to wait and see what the end will be for I heard the apostle Paul tell the church at Galatians you will reap if you do not faint. A due season is coming to your life. Touch somebody tell them it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait, Joseph. It's worth, we don't talk about this, but you know Mary got a promise about having Jesus and she still had to wait nine months. I need some sisters to get thankful for that. Come on, Mary didn't get a pass. Mary had to walk into the the massage parlor and she was, you know, come on y'all. She was tired and wore out and big and heavy and was tired. She didn't get a pass just because it was Jesus. The Bible said in the fullness of time. Somebody don't somebody don't want to hear this, but you got to hear the preacher tell you this today. You will never get the fullness of the promise without waiting the fullness of time. I got preacher friends that left their church prematurely. They had a promise, but they left their church prematurely. They never saw the fullness of the promise because they didn't wait the fullness of time. I feel like I'm on something right here. I feel like I'm confronting some strongholds right here. Some stuff that's got you agitated, irritated, all stirred up. You're you're thinking crazy thoughts. You're thinking about ending some stuff that God ain't even got started with you yet. You're already over it and it just happened last month. Calm down. The Magi heard Daniel say, there's a king coming. The Messiah's on the way. And they start looking and they started examining his arrival and 600 years they waited. Not only did they wait, I got worse news. I got worse news. They had to walk it out. Oh, this is getting bad, Pastor. Not only will God have you wait, but if you're gonna apprehend the prophecy and the promise, you gotta walk some stuff out. Now, I know that when you look at your little nativity scene and when I look at mine, there are three cute little wise men. They got their head at a different, weird kind of angle. You know what I mean? There is only one reason why we think historically we were ever associated magi and wise men with three of them. That is because three gifts were mentioned. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And so when they interpreted the text, they essentially thought, well, one brought frankincense, one brought gold, and one brought myrrh. But history tells us a different story. Herodotus, who was a tremendous historian of that particular time period, wrote novels and books about the Magi. And he indicates that when Magi traveled, it was usually in an entourage of almost a thousand people. It wasn't three. It wasn't three. And we know it couldn't have been three because three men riding camels into Jerusalem would have never shaken up King Herod. 
Hey, who cares? You come in with three camels, we think you're weird. We don't think you've got an assignment. I mean, you come marching in with three people and all three of y'all on camels. We're not worried about y'all. We might take you to the loony bin, but we're not really concerned about you. But if a thousand men come into a city with an entourage, if a thousand camels come in, mm-hmm, and let me get ready to blow your mind, they traveled 750 miles. I told y'all this story, but uh, several months ago, when we all, actually last year, when we went to, to Washington, D.C., all these sisters running, all these students running, all them, all them kids running through Washington, running and prophesying and praying, they said, meet at the Capitol. Well, they started us six miles from the Capitol. Torture. So, you know, all these people are running, I'm running, and I said to myself, self, self. You may not be the fastest one in the group, but you can be the smartest one in the group. So I pulled my phone out. Uber. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. I called an Uber and a Ford Bronco picked me up. How did you get here? On a horse. That's what I told him, on a horse. That Uber came and picked me. I'm talking about it was pouring down rain. I ran past the White House, prayed for Joe and his mama and all of them, and I kept on running. And I said, Lord, I can't run all the way to the Capitol. This rain got me and I'm tired. I called an Uber and the Uber took, there was no Uber for the Magi. Six, 750 miles. Not only did they wait 600 years, they walked hundreds of miles to get to Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. When they strolled up into Jerusalem, when they came into Jerusalem, the first place they went was to the king, and they looked at Herod, and they said, where is the king? We saw his star in the east. And here's what Herod told them. Herod said, you go find him. And when you find him, you come tell me because I'm going to worship him too. Here's what I want you to hear me tell you. Never trust the worship of anybody who won't find Jesus for themselves. I'm coming with it today. I'm bringing a double barrel with it today. This nonsense of somebody finding Jesus for you, worshiping Jesus for you, praying Jesus down for you, and we just want to sit and take in the overflow, that devil is a liar. It's a spirit of Herod. It's a religious devil that don't want to go pursue Jesus. Don't tell me about how much you love him if you don't chase him. Anything you ever really love, you go after and you find it for your self. We are living in a day where everybody wants the wise men to go find Jesus for us. I want to find some people who say the devil is a liar. If I got to walk a little bit, I'm going to walk. If I got to wait a while, I'm going to wait. But you will not be responsible for finding Jesus for me. I'm going to find him for myself. Tell somebody, tell them, seek him. Seek him. Don't just wait on him. Seek him. Don't just sit back and say, well, one day, oh no, this is going to be the day. I'm going to seek him and go after him with my whole heart. It is amazing how people don't pursue. Oh Lord, on a Christmas Sunday, I'm going to say this. It is amazing how people go to church and blame leadership for what they haven't encountered. I'm gonna preach and work this one. 
Because some people run around, they, uh, they didn't feed me. It's embarrassing to admit that a 50-year-old can't feed himself. That's not my five favorite style of worship. I was driving down here today. I'm in the car. I shouldn't tell you all this. But every time I come down on the interstate, I'm driving here, and I'm watching the service. And I looked at what was happening, and the power of God was moving, and the banners and the pain, and the, the people were singing, and everybody was you know, spinning and going crazy, and lights and some haze. And I thought, religious people look at us, and they say crazy things. Like, why does it look like a bar? Well, Sister Ye Ye, how do you know what a bar looks like? Where you been lately? <laughs> okay, if we're going to offend everybody, let's just get it all out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I started looking at it, and our stage looked more biblical than what some people who criticize us suggest that our stage should look like. Do you know when you get to heaven, there will be smoke? There will be flashes of light? There will be colors you've never seen on the color wheel. When you go to heaven, there will not just be banners being waved. There will wings flapping and flying. There will be all kinds of flaming ones flying before the throne. And people will not look and go, oh, this sounds like a bar. You will humble yourself because it has never been about you or me and our favorite style of worship. It is about the one who is sitting on the throne. And we want people to go seek God for us and then we want, to, we want to criticize when they haven't prayed it in and some people have not prayed all week long and they'll go to church on Sunday and find fault with everything happening in the church and blame everything that's not happening in their life on the church. I want to tell you right now, God said, if you'll seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Yes, I want to go to a church that has a prayer meeting. Yes, I want to go to a church that has leadership who know how to flow in the anointing. Yes, I want to go to a church that knows how to preach the word and teach the word so that I can feed my soul. But at the end of the day, you and I have got to progress, mature, and grow up in the faith, and we've got to be able to say whether Herod seeks him, whether the Jew, this is crazy. Even the Jewish leaders weren't seeking for Jesus. The only group of people who were not upset in the whole story is a bunch of Gentiles. Herod was having a nervous breakdown that the wise men showed up. Jerusalem was having a nervous breakdown. The Jewish leaders were going crazy. Why? Because their dog and pony show was about to come to an end. Jesus was about to take over. The kingdom was about to be inaugurated. And everybody who wanted to control it was nervous that the king of glory had invaded the borrowed womb of Mary and had been born on a holy night. They didn't want it. They didn't want it. And a lot of leaders in today's church don't want him either. Read the text. I didn't even preach this, but this is coming to me, so let me get it out. The text says, Herod and all of Jerusalem were tore out of frame. 
trouble. That's the, that's the English word. But the Greek idea is that they were mad. They were losing their mind. Why? Because the Jewish leaders, they had built a little religion and they didn't want the interruption of a king. Why was Herod nervous? Why was Herod troubled? Because he was a king. Of, he was a pseudo king sitting on a pseudo throne. And when the wise men saw the star and came and testified about the baby being born, Herod knew his days were numbered and that his throne was in jeopardy. What is the point? The only people who get nervous when Jesus shows up are those who want to control, those who want their way, those who want to keep a lid, those who want to limit, those who want to ration revival and rob the glory and they turn the church into a den of thieves when it's supposed to be a house of red hot prayer. I want to tell you right now, Jesus doesn't care about Herod. Jesus is not concerned about religious leaders who want to be control freaks. Jesus wants his church back. Jesus wants God in heaven. He wants his, he, it's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. So when, when he shows up, all Herod and all the Jerusalem are troubled. And the, the wise men had to walk 750-ish miles to get there. What do you do when you have a long wait and you're on a long walk? Life ever feel like that for some of y'all? Or is it just me? The Christian journey can feel like a long wait and a long walk. What do you do when you're on a long wait? Feel like you're taking a long walk. I'm gonna tell you what to do. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this one. You just keep walking. As Dory told Marlon, just keep swimming. What do we do? Well, we walk, but we swim. Here's the point. You know you can stop when you find what you were looking for. Until you find the king, you just keep walking. Until you find Jesus in the pain that you're dealing with, you just keep walking. Until you find an answer to the problem that's going on over and over in your mind, you just keep walking it out. You don't quit when you don't get answers. That's what faith is for. Oh, faith is to get stuff. Yes, that happens. But faith is not primarily used to get stuff. Faith is used to keep you when you trust a God you can't understand. When you're walking looking for something and you haven't found it and you think probably a thousand times, I should have been there by now. And I'm still walking. What do you do? You just keep walking. So they keep on walking and they get to Jerusalem and they come to the king and they say, where is he who was born king? For we have seen his star in the east, watch, and we came to worship him. Can you imagine that? 
They traveled 750 miles, waited 600 years, and the purpose of their arrival was to worship. Why did you come today? Why did you come today? Let me put something on this. Let me put something on this because this freaked me out. The Greek word for worship, if you're taking notes, write it down, is proskuneo, proskuneo. It's a compound word formed from two derivatives. One is pros, one is kuneo. Let me explain what those two words are. Pros means toward, toward. It's, it's actually the preposition for toward or unto or in that direction. So, so pros is toward, kuneo is where we get the the, the Greek word uh, for a puppy dog. Literally, check it out. It's a puppy dog. That's what a, in, in the Greek, that's what this root word is. It's a puppy dog that would crawl up in your lap and lick your face off. Anybody having a puppy dog? You say that and people look at you funny. I'm not being weird. If you have a puppy dog, you don't need an explanation. You know what a puppy, a puppy dog chews on all of the bed frames and it just gets up in your face and just... It's this idea of adoration. It's this idea of, uh, uh, of something that is surrendered in love to someone greater. And when the Bible says that they came from Persia, they marched 700 miles, waited 600 years, and when they come into the king's presence, they proskuneod, they kissed towards they lavished their love in his direction. Here's what's crazy. He hadn't even preached them a sermon. He hadn't even healed their sick. He hadn't walked on the water, multiplied loaves and fish. He hadn't raised Lazarus from the dead. The boy from Nain was just a little boy. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't touched Jairus' daughter. There was no fishing trip in which they cast the net on the other side of the boat. This is a baby laying in a manger. And when they come into the room where the baby was not in a manger, in a bed, he wasn't in the manger in Matthew 2. That's the other thing. Wise men didn't come to the manger. Read the text. He wasn't an infant. He wasn't a newborn. In Matthew 2, it says a child. He was a toddler and he didn't come into the manger. They didn't come into the manger. The Bible said they came into the house. What are you telling me this for, pastor? Because Jesus wasn't a newborn when the wise men showed up. He was when the shepherds showed up, but he was not when the wise men showed up. When the wise men got there, he was probably one and a half, two years old. They weren't in a manger. They had moved to the house. They were, they were in the house. The Bible said he came in and he, they saw the child. Can you imagine... Mary and Joseph raising the son of God, wondering how we're going to send him to school. How, how are we going to afford diapers? I know they didn't have diapers, but play the game. Do you know how much a diaper costs in today's economy? <laughs> Do you know what a bottle costs in today's economy? Come talk to your boy after church today. I'll help you. Right? How are we going to raise this child? This is God's son. And one day they're in their house and suddenly... Open the door. Out in the front yard was not three guys with their heads at a weird angle with little boxes of frankincense and myrrh and a pocket full of gold coins. A thousand priestly magi from the kingdom of one of the wealthiest kingdoms on the planet at that time. A 
thousand of them strolled up into Mary and Joseph's front yard with coffers of gold and friends. Some of y'all get real uncomfortable right now, but let me tell you something. Do you seriously think God would send his son to this earth and not send the provision he would need to do everything God had called him to do? They pulled up with frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and they come into the room and they begin to open their treasure. The word treasure is a unique word. Check it out in the Greek. It literally means coffer. It's kind of like the box they would bury a person in back in the day. What do we do with this? This is awesome. This is crazy. But you talk about a thousand leaders showing up. We don't know how many coffins of it and, and boxes of it they had. But can you imagine if they just brought box after box of frankincense, gold, and myrrh and said, here, Mary, you're going to need this for the king. And they worshiped, they proskuneo, they kissed towards, they lavished their love on a baby. Devin said this, I was listening on the way up. They lavished their love on a baby, an infant, child, toddler, king. Let me give you another crazy. You ready for this? The word proskuneo is used in the gospel of St. Mark when the demoniac from Gadara who lived in the caves, Jesus gets in a boat with 12 disciples, goes over the Sea of Galilee, steps off the boat, and a man with thousands of demons comes running up to Jesus. The Bible says the demoniac fell down and proskuneo Jesus. A demoniac worshiped Jesus. Gentile kings who never heard him preach a sermon walked into the presence of Jesus and proskuneo, they worshiped him. So I got a question for you before I go home. How can a Gentile entourage who's never known his saving grace, never known his healing power, never heard his powerful word, they've only been looking into the sky for a sign, and he gives it, and they come in, he never preaches them a sermon, he never heals their cancer, he never saves them from their sin, never forgives them for their past, and yet they fall down and they Worship him? How can a demoniac full of thousands of devils come out of the tomb running down the hillside when Jesus steps off the boat with his disciples? He didn't get saved. He didn't get delivered. He ran to the feet of Jesus. He fell down and he proskuneoed. He began to lavish love on Jesus. Jesus hadn't done anything for him yet, but he gave him love. So my question is, if kings from the east can fall down and worship him, and he's not done anything for them. If a man full of thousands of devils can run out of a cave, walk out of his chains, fall down at his feet, and begin to worship him, then please explain to me how people in the American church whose sins have been forgiven, whose bills have been paid, whose children have gone to Sunday school, we've seen the miraculous power of God, and we come to church every Sunday, zoom in on my face, we come come to church every Sunday and we fold our hands and we wait for time to pass and it's almost as if somebody's getting on your nerves that they're waving a banner and beating a tambourine and shouting and dancing and painting and giving God glory. Why did you come to church anyway? I did not come to be seen. I did not come to see you. 
I came to worship the king. God, I feel like we're ready to go home. But before we go home, slap three people and tell them, neighbor, I don't know why you came to church today. I don't know why you came to church last Sunday. I don't know why you'll come to church next Sunday. But I know, oh Lord, I know why I came to church. I came for the king. I came to give him glory. I came to give him honor. Somebody touch your neighbor, tell him, join me. Join me, join me. If you don't know if he's good, let me testify for just a minute. When I look back over my life, I said when I look back over my life, there is only one reason, there is only one way, there is only one man that could have brought me out. I came to worship. I came to worship. I didn't come to start a new religion. I didn't come to start a club. I didn't come to show you my shoes. I didn't come to smell your new line of cologne. I, I, I came to put my hands together every now and then. I came to move my feet to the rhythm of the song of heaven. I came to wave my hands. I came to speak in tongues. I, ca- I came to preach the Bible. I came to give him glory. I came to give him honor. Clap your hands. We gotta go, but I feel like worshiping. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God, oh Lord, with a voice of triumph. I came to worship. Now, when you wait and you walk, it'll lead you to Jesus. And when you get up on Sunday morning at 7.30 and you put your hair on, and you get your makeup did, and you put all your nice clothes on. Ask yourself why you're getting ready. Why am I getting myself ready? Why am I gonna take them crazy kids, put them in that car, uh drive on down there and drop them off? Why am I going through all this? And when the enemy starts trying to make you think there's a better way to invest your time, tell the devil to get out of your mind. Tell him to get up under your feet. am going to church. I am going to get there by the grace of God. I may get there a little bit late. I may not have a very good seat or a parking place, but I I feel the Holy Ghost. Thank you. I am going to worship the King of glory. And I'm not I'm not just gonna worship him in here, but when I get back in the car and I go back to the same old house and I put them same children in the bathtub every night and I wake them up for school on Monday morning, I will worship the King of Glory. 
Worship is not what you do on Sunday. Worship is who you are. Worship is who I am. We don't worship for what he's done. We worship for who he is. He's the king of glory. And I'm through. And they waited and they walked it out. And when they found him, they worshiped him. And I thought I was done with it. But I read the last verse, Deacon. Oh, Lord. I feel like preaching like I like to preach. The Bible said after they worshiped him, they had a dream. And in the dream, God came to the wise men and he said, I don't want you to go back the same way. Because when you meet Jesus, it'll make you wait. When you meet Jesus, he's worth the walk. When you meet Jesus, it'll make you worship. But when you meet Jesus, it'll make you leave a different way. Hey, hey. Touch your neighbor, say neighbor. I don't know how you were when you came in, but I know this one thing. By the time this day is over, you're gonna leave a different way. You're not leaving the same way you came. Touch somebody, tell them, neighbor, God is redirecting your future. God is redirecting your future. God is changing your life. You may have walked in a liar, but you're walking out telling the truth. Somebody give God a praise. Oh, Lord. It said, it said, and, and they went home a different way. A different way. I prophesy. The man that walked in here is going to walk back through the door of your house this afternoon and they're going to look at you and say, what happened to you? That sweet sister in here that walked out of her door one way, you're going to walk back home today and then people that live next door, your friends and them, they're going to look at you and say, what happened to you? There's only one man who is powerful enough to be laying in a baby bed and make a difference in the life of a king. I'm telling you who that is, that man is Jesus. If he can change the kings of the east, he can change you and your drug addict son, he can deliver you and your crazy daughter. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you will worship him, he'll change the way you go home. You won't go back the same. Oh Lord. Well, you ain't never hollered like this. You better get to know that when you meet Jesus, it'll stir something up on the inside of you. You don't come into contact with him and remain the same. He'll change your behavior. He'll change your language. He'll change your vocabulary. He'll change the way you treat your neighbor. He'll change the way you treat your spouse. He'll change the way you pay your taxes. He'll change what you drink at your meal tonight. He'll change it up. They met him. And when they met Jesus,
they left and went home a different way. Here's, here's the crazy thing. History tells us, at least some historians believe, let me say it that way. There's some discussion, but many historians believe that the three wise men became powerful leaders in Christendom because of the encounter they had with Jesus while he was a baby in a manger. I think we need to see him again because when you see Jesus, everything changes. How many want to see him afresh and see him anew in your life? How many, how many want to, how many are saying, Pastor, I'm on a long walk. I'm in the middle of a long wait, but I'm making up my mind today. I'm going to keep searching and keep seeking and keep going. That's what faith is. And here's the thing. God is going to unlock some things for you when you unlock worship for him. When you unlock your worship, before he had done anything, Sam, he, they couldn't. This is, this is proof from the text, from the word of God, that we don't just worship God for what he's done for us. You can do that. It's in order to give him thanks and praise for what he's done. But something deeper is when you give him praise, not for what he's done, but for who he is. Worship is not just about his acts. Worship is about who he is. And when you know and decide in your heart who he is, you don't wait till he acts. The wise men didn't wait on him to get up out that bed and heal and deliver and say, that's wonderful. But while he's in the, the baby bed, cooing, na-na, mama. And y'all looking at me funny like Jesus wasn't a toddler, but Jesus wasn't just born and become a man. He grew. The humanity of that baby blesses my life. Because when they saw this baby, this toddler king, without doing anything for them, they pulled out their treasure. They broke the treasure open and they gave it to the baby. What's the point? As good as he's been to us, we have many reasons to be thankful. But if he never does one more thing for me, who he is, is enough for all of us to decide, I came. You throw your hands up, I feel him. I, I came not to see what I could get from him. Woo! I came. I made the trip. I went through the trouble. I made the walk. I've been in a wait. But I came to worship. The king, grab your neighbor by the hand. Father, I pray for the house today. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together.
the lovely Play all together wonderful. Here I am, come on. Here I am. I came to worship. For the next few minutes, I need some people who are going to decide that the rest of your life and the rest of your days, I'm going to spend my days worshiping. I just want you to make that step. I, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're going to do. But I feel like we're supposed to fill an altar up with worshipers. Just come and stand and say, here I am, Lord. I, I'm coming today to worship. Here I am to say. Come on. Come on. I'm inviting you to come. I'm inviting you to decide I'm going to be a worshiper with my whole life. I'm coming back to Come on, keep pressing in. They're still coming. They're we're, we're making up our mind. We're making up our mind, but somebody's deciding today. I came to worship. Come on, let's go. Come on. It's Christmas time. I know what this world says this is about, but this is about people who love him saying, I'm going to live the rest of my life, all my days. I'm coming back. Come on. Come on, get your hunger back. Get your hunger back. Get your hunger back. Get your priority back. Come on. Sing it again. Sing it again. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. Every moment I'm awake. Just one more time, Tori, Mateo. Come on, I'm coming back. Give you my heart. I give you my soul. Have your way, Lord.
Somebody take your box out. Just pour your frankincense, your gold, your myrrh. Pour, pour it out. Come on, just give it to him. Come on, come on. Come on, Jesus. Give you our lives, Lord. We give you our lives, God. Have us all. Have us all. You can have everything. Take it all. I want to pray before I leave. Uh, I want uh, Pastor Kim and Melvin is here. Is Pastor Melvin here? Margarita, will you come stand? He's in translation. Thank you. I want some of our Hispanic leaders to come. Tonight we're going to have a, a service. I just felt impressed a moment ago to pray. I feel like it's a first fruit and a seed. I want you to know something, family. We have, uh, the Lord's given us several strong prophetic words that he was going to do something significant in this community and city among uh, the disenfranchised Hispanic people who have nowhere to call home. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. I don't know if you know this, but our heart in this house is for all people. I don't care what nation they come from or even what language, language they speak the hue of their skin color, this is supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth. That's what this house is called to. I didn't call it, to, he called it. So God, today, I just thank you for a seed. I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I know this. You sent your son, Father, for everybody. Jesus, I'm asking you to be glorified in this meeting tonight and in the meetings beyond. You know what we need and you know what to do. And I'm praying the anointing of, come on, stretch your hands toward this place right now. Just stretch it right down here. Lord, we speak blessing. I speak alignment, a flow of the oil, a release of the supernatural power of God, a celebration of Jesus in that beautiful Latin American culture. Lord, we celebrate Jesus in every culture. And today, Lord, we're praying specifically for what you're going to do in this community and in this city. I pray now in Jesus' name. I keep hearing this because people have said this regarding the Highland Park community. They keep calling it Little Guatemala. Well, I'm going to tell you, a big God is about to invade Little Guatemala. Come on, get an agreement with me right there. Father, we just decree and declare that the power of the Holy Spirit 
is going to be released in this community. And tonight you're going to do something powerful and revolutionary in scope. I bless every leader in this line right now and I pray the Holy Spirit breathe on them. Holy Ghost, thank you. Pastor Gary, just lay your hands on them. Come on, just pray. Just pray. If you got to go, go. We love you. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing. I pray the power of the Holy Ghost come upon them. Work this, work this. Breathe on it, God. Breathe on it. Breathe on it, Holy Spirit. Breathe on it. Breathe on it. We can't do it without you, Lord. We need you. We can't do it without you, Lord. We need you. We cannot do it without you, God. We need you. I'm just asking for your favor, Abba. Your blessing on it. Precious name of Jesus. God, I thank you for this family. I thank you for the heart. Holy Ghost, wow. I feel the grace of God flowing. I feel the grace of God flowing. The grace of God. Jesus, wow. Wow, wow, wow. The grace of God. The grace of God is flowing. I feel the grace of God flowing. Ho, ho, glory. Thank you, Lord. Father, seal the work of God and the Word of God in all of our hearts and keep us. Bless the family. Bless their families. Keep your hand on them. Watch over them. Protect us. In the precious name of Jesus. Come on, just lift your hands. Let me speak a blessing over your life. Father, I pray as Aaron prayed over the people, I pray the Lord bless and keep you. I pray the Lord make his face to shine upon you. I pray the Lord be gracious unto you. And I pray the Lord's peace upon you and your family. In the name of Jesus, who is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give him praise one more time all over this room. Hey, family, I believe God is touching hearts right now. The preached word of God causes the lost to come to Christ. I believe someone's watching. Maybe you feel a million miles away from God. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you've never been in church. Listen, I want to tell you that it doesn't matter where you are in life right now. If you want Christ to save you, no matter what you've done and no matter how long you've been doing it, if you'll turn your heart to him, he'll save you right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. Say, dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I'm asking you to save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Lord, come in and be the king of my life. I give you my past, my present, and my future. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to rescue me today. In Jesus' name, by faith, I believe that I'm saved and a child of God. Amen. Listen, friend. I know that's a simple prayer, but I believe with all of my heart, salvation is as simple as turning from sin and turning to Christ.
you did that today. I, I want to pray that God give you a strong Bible-believing church. I want you to go to KevinWallace.tv, learn how the resources that we have can help you in your journey. Listen, we want to pray for you. Drop us a line on the prayer request. Let us know you gave your heart to Christ. And our team's going to be praying for you this coming week. You're going to get stronger. You're going to grow deeper in your love for God. You're going to become everything He put you on this planet to be. I'm praying for you. I love you. I'll see you next week. God bless.